My name is Keith Beavers, and I just found out that peaches, raspberries, and apples are part of the rose family. So a rose by any other name would be those three things. Oh! What's going on, wine lovers from the Fine Pair Podcasting Network? This is the Wine 101 Podcast. My name is Keith Beavers, and I am the tastings director of Vine Pair. That's who I am. Today, we're going to talk about something, I don't know. Let's see what you guys think about it. It's about future. It's about a future of uncertainty or not. En premiere, en premier. So, this episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Louis M. Martini Winery. Home Premiere signifies a wine that hasn't been released yet to the market, but reports show that it will be an amazing vintage. If there were Home Premiere wines in the U.S., Louis M. Martini would definitely be high on that list, because with a history so ingrained in Napa, you simply can't do without him. It's true. Well, today is a very interesting subject. It's something that we as everyday wine drinkers really don't participate in, but it is something that the wine world has been doing for quite some time in the trade section that has kind of bled into the consumer part of wine. And it's it's pretty fascinating stuff. It's a little uh, risky, if you will. I'm talking about Om Premier or the the securing of bottles of wine of a vintage before the bottles have been, (laughs) before the wine has been bottled. Isn't that crazy? Like you, you hear about a certain like, Oh, okay. So this vintage is going to be great. All right, cool. You know, it hasn't been bottled yet. All right. So I'm going to spend all this money on that. That's, that's crazy. But it's, it happens. So I'm not going to make any um, comparisons to the stock market because I don't understand any of that stuff. That, that, that's a world I do not understand. But I will tell you about this on premiere phenomenon and kind of how it developed. And just so you get a chance, so you get a sense of it. I don't know where you are in your journey. I don't know what you are interested in if you're collecting or not, but this is a collector's game, if you will, the own premiere. And it only became very prominent in the consumer space in the sort of, I guess, the 80s and stuff. But before that, some things happened. Okay, let's get into it. So ever since wine has been being made and recorded as being made, people have collected it in some way, some sort of, in some fashion. Um, Pliny the Younger has documentation about this happening in ancient Rome. I'm assuming that means a bunch of amphora in some really wealthy Roman's basement. Did they have basements? <laughs> or like in their in their masseria somewhere. But ever since the, I guess, early to mid um, 18th century, like the 1730s, when cylindrical wine bottles, I have a whole episode on, on wine bottles you can listen to, I think it's in season one. When that was developed, the ability for someone to collect multiple bottles of wine, lay them down in a cellar or somewhat for their personal use or personal collection, 
became very popular. And for a while, I can imagine, you know, it was mostly Port or Madeira, um, maybe some Claret, maybe not. But, you know, wealthy people in England and Europe would just, they would have a bunch of wine because they had money and parties and they had, they wanted some wine to have on hand at all times. So that's kind of, I feel like that's how the collecting thing grew and grew, but it was in the late 19th century that something very specific happened in Bordeaux, not really specific, but something that happened in Bordeaux to kind of kick off this idea of buying something before it's released. In France in 1848, the revolution was getting going, and there was a guy by the name of Herman Cruz who decided to buy up the majority of Medoc wine of the previous vintage of 1847 vintage. He bought a ton of wine. Let me give you some numbers. It says that he bought no fewer than 13,650 tonneaux. That means a tonneau is about 900 liters of wine from 130 crews, which is nearly all of the Medoc and Cru Bourgeois. And he bought this to initially sell to the German market. But then the Germans started having a revolution, so he held on to these wines until Napoleon III came about, and that was a whole new era for Bordeaux. So when, as Bordeaux was gaining in prominence then, that's when he started releasing his wines and selling them at what they say is undisclosed prices. Shady, but, you know, he got his. Now, that wasn't a future buy or en premiere purchase, but it was kind of the beginning of this sort of way of purchasing, sitting on, and then reselling wine. And this trend persisted, and through the 1860s, a um, couple things happened. The duty on French products was reduced, as well as something called the Single Bottle Act was put into play, which was basically the, the beginning of wine or alcohol retail in France. This would all come to a devastating halt with two plagues on the wine industry in France, one in Bordeaux specifically, one being powdery mildew, specific to Bordeaux at the time, and the other one, of course, phylloxera. But what really started the road towards en premiere, especially in the consumer space, was post-World War II. In the late 1950s, the French franc was devalued significantly and the American dollar was very strong. This brought the Americans to the wine market, specifically the Bordeaux market. And with all this attention, the first growths of Bordeaux started just ramping up in price. In the 50s and the 60s, the 1950s and 1960s, the, the price of these wines quadrupled. All this focus and all this attention ramped up into the 70s when these first growths started battling each other for pricing, trying to dominate the market. Everyone was getting a little bit greedy, and it led to some shadiness. The thing is, when, when, when these kind of wines are in demand, people rely on brokers um, who are the go-betweens between the proprietors and the negociants or the merchants to declare what vintages were, were great and what they, they could buy. This is, you know, not, this is kind of before the en premiere, but it was still kind of, you could kind of see how it was developing. And in the 1970s, some shadiness went down, specifically Herman Cruz's family, uh, I think by this point it was run by his son, I think, and or whatever generation was that family at the time, took advice from a broker, which they had done back in 1848 to their advantage, but this broker was fraudulent and 
went to jail and it messed up their reputation in the industry pretty much forever. But the on premiere idea was, was happening and people were always speculating about vintages and the, the prediction of vintages would sometimes work and sometimes wouldn't. Famously, 1975 and 1983 in Bordeaux were speculated to be great vintages, but then unfortunately they did not produce what everyone thought. And once I explained this on premiere thing, you kind of understand how this could happen. It happened again. Well, it, happened a, it didn't happen a lot, but it happened enough. I think in 1996 it happened in Burgundy. But it kind of shows the the risk factor involved in this on premiere idea. And the on premiere idea came about for consumers specifically in the 19 late seventies in sort of the early to mid eighties when people like Robert Parker were making very big assessments on certain vintages. So people wanted to get ahead of what Robert Parker was going to do. And they went ahead and just listened to the actual proprietors in Bordeaux and the, eventually the wine regions of the world that have wine that have this kind of investment potential. So what you're basically doing is you are willing to spend a bunch of money on a wine that hasn't been bottled yet. There was actually a time when they would, people would actually bid on wines or buy wines that haven't even been harvested yet when the grape is still on the vine. This is called Sur Souche, which means really on the stump, but you know, on the vine. This idea, when we're talking about applying to the younger, when he was talking about it back in ancient Rome, they actually did this as well. Okay. This is how it happens. Well, we'll talk about Bordeaux because I mean, it happens all over the place now in like Napa. I mean, not as ritualistically as it does in Bordeaux, but there are every, there are places like Burgundy, Champagne, Napa, and there's places in Italy that do these kind of future things as well. But this is where it all started. So the spring after the harvest is custom is usually the time it's customarily time for samples to be shared by the proprietors. This is a time when wine journalists and proprietors themselves and brokers and merchants get a sense of what the vintage was going is going to be like this. Just so you know, these wines have only been in cask for a few months, up to six months. So they're tasting this thing going, this is going to be an amazing vintage. Sometimes they, the wines haven't been, haven't even been assembled yet. Meaning assemblage, meaning the, the, the decision of what barrels will go into the blend. It just, sometimes it's that youthful. And the word premiere was initially used as well, it's a French word for young produce or young product. And the whole nouveau sensation that came out of Beaujolais, those wines were usually called premier. And it meant that you could release your wine the third Thursday of November following the harvest. But because of the popularity of Beaujolais Nouveau, well, the word nouveau came about because in Paris, it was like the new wines from Beaujolais are here. They've arrived. Beaujolais Nouveau has arrived. So that's how that came about. Anyway, premier means young wine. So you're really tasting young wine. And that's pretty wild because if you're, you know, I've tasted a lot of wine, um, a lot of youthful wine, wine that's not ready yet. And you can kind of get a sense when you're tasting it where it's going to go, but you really don't know where it's going to go. You have a sense of it. And that's kind of what happens. 
And even then, some properties will only release a small portion of their year's harvest or what's in, what's in the barrel. They call that a tranche. And sometimes that's all you get. But when the proprietor sets their price, this is when the brokers start going to work and starting to get solicit sales through merchants and through their networks to, get, to solidify because the brokers are going to sell on that price, but they're also going to take a percentage of that price once it's sold because the consumer pays the opening price as well as any delivery charges that are needed to get the wine to them. And then the broker, of course, takes their percentage. The whole idea of this, well, there's a sense that it's like, you know, I'm, well, you, you're securing very sought after wines. That's a thing. You want to do that. That's your thing. There's also kind of an idea that you're paying less for it up front because as the wine matures, it gets, it gains in, you know, price because it gets older and older, but that's not always the case. Just the idea that you're investing in a wine that the Oxford Wine Companion calls an embryonic product is, is risky, especially if you don't know the assemblage or if it's still in its elevage, meaning the wine is still being built, it's still being born. You still have, maybe a wine hasn't been completely fined or filtered yet in the barrel. And sometimes, like in the cases of 1975 or 1983 in Bordeaux, the actual quality of the wine is not what has been stated during the Homme Premiere time. And that's pretty much it. That's generally how it works. And it's, you know, I don't know where you are, again, on your journey, but like this is, this kind of stuff is bought and traded through the auction houses in very elite circles. Actually, I shouldn't say the elite, just like, you know, wealthy. The kind of money you have to put down for this stuff is, is real. And the thing is, some of this stuff, some of these wines are purchased not even to be consumed, but literally to appreciate in value and resold. Some people like that. They just think the wine is this kind of thing they can buy and sell. But there also are those moments where certain people that collect these wines and do own premiere and all that just have these massive collections and they do huge tastings and parties just like they did back in the day in England and stuff like that. So that's really what the own premiere premier thing is about. Another thing to take into consideration is you're buying wine based on somebody else's palate, assessing it and saying, you know, the vintage assessment saying, yes, this is going to be an amazing vintage. In 1959, it was the greatest vintage of the century. Since then, that's been happening. People have been trying to use that. Um, 2010 was a great vintage. Actually, 2010 was when I first started seeing on Premiere and how it worked and getting talking to people that, that were into this thing. It was, it was just wild to hear them speculate and talk and get excited about when their wine's going to show up in two years. It was just, it was nuts. But that's on Premiere. I don't, you know, just... You're going to hear the term around, so I thought I would just do this quick little podcast to get you guys into the know, just to know. I'll talk to you next week. Vine Pair Keith is my Insta. Rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps get the word out there. 
And now for some totally awesome credits. Wine 101 was produced, recorded, and edited by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the Vine Pair headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon for creating Vine Pair. And I mean, big shout out to Danielle Grinberg, the art director of Vine Pair, for creating the most awesome logo for this podcast. Also, Darby Seaside for the theme song. Listen to this. And I want to thank the entire Vine Pair staff for helping me learn something new every day. See you next week. E&J Gallo Winery is excited to sponsor this episode of Vine Pairs Wine 101. Gallo always welcomes new friends to wine with an amazing wide spectrum of favorites ranging from everyday to luxury and sparkling wine. Gallo also makes award-winning spirits, but this is a wine podcast. Whether you are new to wine or an aficionado, Gallo welcomes you to wine. Visit thebarrelroom.com today to find your next favorite, where shipping is available.